0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. A real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchinson.
1: Hello from the Think Orphan podcast. Welcome back. Uh, for those of you who are a part of this podcast and have been for a long time, for those of you who are new to it, uh, welcome. And uh, usually the beautiful Karen Hutchinson is is introducing this show but today she's still she's still out just taking a little time off for the summer and and because of that we get to have Dr. Rick Morton here with us uh, and that is we're going to be the better for it if, if you've heard Rick in the last few episodes you know that um, but for those of you who don't uh, Rick introduce yourself to him.
0: Wow. Glad to be here with you. I just want to point out, um, Phil, even before I introduce myself, that you didn't say the handsome um, Rick didn't. or anything like that. So I'm taking that personally, yeah, um, wow. but excited to be here, um, excited to get an opportunity to uh, hang out with one of my favorite friends and favorite authors and uh, and to talk a little bit of orphan care with you.
1: Well, I do have to say if if I'm one of your favorite authors, you need to raise your standards up a bit. But um but thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um favorite people, I could I could handle that, but um yeah. So anyway, we'll move on from that. So don't don't let that ding his credibility, folks. Don't let that ding his credibility because he is a brilliant man. And uh I do I do say that he is one of my best friends in in all of this uh, all that I get to hang out with when I get to do this work. So, um, but you know what today I got to talk to another man I respect, uh, a few weeks ago. And this man is pretty amazing as you're going to learn today. If you don't already know the J- the term J or the term, the man JT Olson, um, you know, he's a guy that, you're gonna, you're in for a treat to get to know him because not only has he been through a lot in his own life, he has affected the lives of so many in so many amazing ways. Um, I just, it's just super encouraging to have a conversation with him, and then to hear how you can get involved with the work that he's doing as well. Um, hopefully, that'll encourage you, and hopefully, will challenge you to um, really kind of take a step towards you know helping the orphan helping the widow in your community uh and so you know jt is the uh founder and the president of uh of both hands and they're doing some amazing work that we're going to get to hear about in this interview so as always we hope that you will uh engage the conversation at thinkorphan.com and send us an email send us a you know put something on facebook a comment there um or on twitter and you know, engage the conversation with us so that JT will know kind of some questions that you might have from him, from us, anything that you have questions on um, from this or other episodes. Also, if you can rate and review the show, that helps us a ton and it helps get the show out to other people. But without any more from me on this stuff, I just really want to get you guys to this great interview with JT Olson. Well, JT, it's so great to finally get you here on the podcast. Phil, it's nice to
2: be here. I was looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, this is something we've been talking about doing for so long. And, uh, you know, it's just schedules are, are funny things sometimes. Sometimes they work right away and other times it takes a little bit. So this one is, is the latter of those. But, uh, you know, I know it will be well worth the wait. So, um, you know, JT... You and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years, but I know most of our audience probably doesn't know who you are. I know you've got a book out there that we'll be talking about today. But can you just share a bit uh, with our audience of uh, you know, your story and how you got to be where you are today?
2: Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite things to do because it is definitely a God story. And uh, um, I'm, I'm the executive director of Both Hands Foundation. And I always help people when they say, you know, well, what do you do? I say, well, I help families raise money for adoptions. And we do it by working on a widow's house. And just about when I do that, they always kind of look at me with that, you know, kind of glazed look in their eye, always being polite and nodding their head and saying, oh, that's nice. But you can tell they really don't understand. <laughs> and it, I guess the easiest way to explain what I do, Phil, is to tell you how it happened. Mm-hmm. Because then it's really clear because I was – uh, on the board of Bethany Christian Services uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And one year, the local board here in Nashville. And one year, my job was to be in charge of the fundraiser. And I chose to do a golf fundraiser, you know. And it was one where you have people join you on the golf course, and everyone who's golfing sends out letters asking people to sponsor them for the day while they golf. Pretty simple. Well, I mail my letters out. Had a buddy who I was in a Bible study with, sends my letter back to me, does not include a check. In fact, all he did, he scribbled with a fine tip magic marker on the letter back to me saying, JT, if you told me you were working on a widow's house, I might sponsor you. But you're just golfing. Nice cause, but not my money. That kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I thought, man, that's a that's a good idea. You know, and I called him a couple of days later and we talked about it and laughed about it. But the, honestly, the idea just never left me. I mean, whenever I saw a fundraiser of any kind, like a golf tournament or a 5K or anything, I just kept asking myself, if they were working on a widow's house, would that be more compelling? And I just kept thinking, you know, this has got to work. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, I'm in church running to a good friend of mine, hadn't seen him in a couple of months. I said, hey, Don, what's up? And he looked at me and he said... I'm adopting four kids from Moldova. And I I was stunned. He's already got three children at home. Mm -hmm. And I said, what happened? He said, well, I was on a mission there with Sweet Sleep delivering beds to this orphanage and fell in love with this little boy. And we decided when I got home to start the adoption process. And I said, wow. He said, and and we found out, you know, he's got three siblings. And Don just looked at me and said, we're not going to break up the siblings. And that resonated with me because it took me back to when I was 12 years old living on a farm in northeastern Iowa. There was five of us kids. And I remember one weekend in particular, my mom and dad left to go celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary. And us kids were kind of farmed out different places, you know. And I remember mm-hmm. Saturday night being brought home because they were coming home. And um, I'd played all day in the barns at my friend's house, so I was dirty. You know, I had to, I had to go in the basement. My older brother he went upstairs but I remember sitting in the basement unlacing my boots and my brother came down the basement stairs I looked up at him and I said are mom and dad home and he said mom and dad are dead mm. and it was I, I, I said what he said mom and dad are dead they were killed in a car accident an hour ago and he turned around and walked upstairs He had Hmm. just found out himself. And I remember that feeling. And I remember hitting the floor, that cold cement floor, and just wailing like any seventh grader would wail. Um, You know, it just goes through your mind like, man, this is not supposed to happen. This is something you read about. Right. Just the realization that mom and dad, you know, and and I know what it's like to be an orphan. And I know what it's like to to wonder who's going to take care of. I know what it's like to wake up the next morning. And for the first 10, 15 seconds, you, you kind of think it's a dream. And then the reality sets in. And, and it's just, you realize, man, I'm never gonna see mom and dad again. Mm. Your paradigm in life shifts dramatically at that point. And I know what that's like. But I also know what it's like, Phil, to be rescued because we had an aunt and uncle, my mom's sister and her husband, Three months before the accident, they changed their wills. My mom and dad and her, and her sister and his, her husband that if anything would happen to one of the families, the other family would take them. Well, my aunt and uncle lived in a really nice suburb of Milwaukee. They already had three children of their own. They took all five of us in. Wow. And <laughs> I know what it's like to have someone come up and say, we got you. You know, life's not going to be perfect, but we got you. And back to the church with Don, Don looks at me and says, we're not going to break up the siblings. I'm the just right guy to say that. Right. You know, I am the just right because I'm not going to look at him and say, are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, I remember very clearly looking at Don and the thought that went through my mind was, here's a man who's got a faith that I covet. I want to have a faith like that, you know, and I just looked at Don. I said, Don, how much is this going to cost? He said about 70, 80,000, I think. (laughs) <laughs> I said, do you have any idea? how you are going to raise that money? And he kind of gave me that deer in the headlights look like, no. And I said, I think I got an idea. <laughs> so long story short, Don and I got together, we put this plan together and we recruited about 13, 14 guys. All of us mailed letters out to everyone we could possibly think of saying, I'm working on this widow's house for the day. Would you sponsor me? And all the money I raise is going to go towards the cost of bringing these four kids home from Moldova. And I found a widow in Nashville who needed help, got everything donated. We didn't, we didn't spend any money, you know, except on stamps. Right. And because everyone liked the idea. Yeah. And we spent the day fixing up Miss Lucille's house. And when it was over, (laughs) we'd raised around $74,000. Wow. (laughs) I felt like I was standing on holy ground. Um, and I think we were. It was Widows and Orphans. Yeah. And it's like God was winking at me saying, JT, what would you expect? Widows and Orphans? Yeah, I'm going to bless this. And so that was the first project. And um, about a year later, another friend of mine had come up to me and said, hey, hey, I heard you, Don, would you help me? And So we did another project, and that was in April of 2008. And it was the end of that project where I realized, you know, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Huh. I think, and it's, and that's when I left my company that I owned. I just kind of walked away from that. And my wife, who was a homeschool and stay at home mom, she went to work outside the home. And, uh, we kind of jumped out on this, jumped off this little cliff. <laughs> it wasn't totally without, you know, some help and everything, but, uh, it was a big, uh, it was a big jump. And you know, since then, We've done. Let me tell you, this is what this is why I love telling the story, Phil, because since then, we've done 802 projects in 42 states. Hmm. 881 widows have been blessed. Wow. 972 kids are no longer orphans, and we've raised 9.2 million dollars for families to use for adoption. Wow. And 100% of that money goes to the cause. We don't take anything out for our expenses because we just, I decided when we set this up, we're going to do that a little differently. And so he right. raised that money for our operations on the side. So that's the story of both hands in a nutshell. Yeah. And its I just hope it glorifies God when I tell that story because it's a story of he, he can take something that's painful and he can turn it to something that's beautiful.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, there's, that's, there's so many things that I know we could dig into and talk about for hours and hours on end. But the one thing I want to kind of dive into right now, as I, as I, as I know what, I knew your story obviously beforehand. And the thing that keeps coming back to me is the fact that God put, like he said, you said, you know, you were the perfect person for that guy to come talk to. But also the thing about it is somebody else put this idea of the widow in your mind too. Right. And it's not like it comes out of nowhere, right it's in no. the verse that we all quote in orphan care all the time, and it's in james or Isaiah one where it talks about you know plead the widow's cause, right, visit widows and orphans in their distress, not just the orphan yeah. you know so what have you seen in the work that you get to do alongside and with and come into the lives of these widows? How have you been able to really? impact their lives and theirs yours
2: you know it's 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 wonderful because when i think about those over 800 widows that have been served uh almost every project has a video and when you watch these videos and part of the video it's usually a 15 to 30 40 second shot in the video of when the widow is talking and it's usually at the end of the day when she has realize and grasps the fact that 20, 30, or 40 people, strangers, all came to her, their ho- her house for a day and gave their life away, you know, and helped fix up her house, whether cleaning or decluttering or landscape, whatever they were doing that day, because every project's different. When you watch them talk, and they can't help but get emotional, and so many times that, that, that what the common phrase is, I can't believe all these strangers came out to help me, you know. And, and another one people say is just God must really love me. And just to see that, that's, that is, that, that just brings, that makes my, that makes my allergies act up every time. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, that's what I've seen. And and it's really opened my eyes to the 14 million ghosts that are in the United States. I don't know how many worldwide, right. but you know, there's, there's a lot of work that can be done.
1: And are you, are you guys also were, I assume that these relationships aren't stopping at the day you work on their home. I assume that there's relationships that are built through this, not just with the children coming into the homes, but they see these widows who are, I, su- I mean, I could be wrong, but you know, I'd love to hear from you just how these relationships that are starting with a project gardening or a project, building a house or whatever, or building a, you know, helping refurbish or whatever a house can turn into hanging out and people doing life with each other. Is that, is that also happening?
2: Yeah, there's a, there's it, but it, it is a wide spectrum, Sure, you know? Uh, but I mean, there are some that when they work on the widow's house and, and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of connection afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, I, I think, that's probably the lowest end of the spectrum. You want to be the extreme end of the spectrum?
3: Yeah, let's hear it.
2: <laughs> Let me tell you. And it was a family out in California. And um, they worked on this widow's house. And they were adopting from Ethiopia. And they went to get their child from Ethiopia. Well, that widow literally became the grandmother to that family. Mm. And they had constant contact with her and and she was part of their family now here's the other part of the story a few years later they decided to go back and adopt again and they worked on another widow's house this time that widow helped them work on this widow's house but when they flew i can't remember where they went it was europe or africa but when they flew to get their other child that they were adopting that first widow flew with them Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i would say that's that's pretty strong part of the family that's pretty you know and and there are all kinds of stories like that where the widow just when the widow gets the connection that she is part of the project and that she is literally the avenue that these families are getting their child when she gets that it's like an eye-opening thing it just blesses them right that they have a chance to be part of that project so there's some pretty cool stories i can't tell you all of them but I don't know all of them because there's a lot of projects. It's hard to keep up with everybody, but right. we hear some stories. That's so
1: amazing. That's so awesome because, you know, we talk about creating families and we talk about everyone, every child deserves a family. But, you know, there's so many, like you said, so many widows, so many widowers, so many other people in the world who are just searching and yearning for family and to be able to bring that together. I mean, that's, I, I don't know if you folks out there listening when you're, when you're hearing this, get, got the chills when he was talking about that, but I know I did. And it's just so cool. You know, we talk about that, uh, with the work we're doing in Honduras, La Providencia is how we can truly and really incorporate the widows into the conversation and into the, into the, not the conversation, but the, the relationships that we're having with these children and the families that we're creating. And, and it's, it's one of those things that, you know, there's so many moving parts, but Sometimes it's as simple as just coming alongside on a day and helping with a garden, you know? And so that's, that's so, that's so encouraging to hear. So, you know, the other, the other uh, side, you know, one of the other things that you, you know, you kind of bring up is doing fundraising differently, right? To be creative and innovative, not just going to people and saying, hey, give me some money for this. Um, You know, how how has that been for you? Just, you know, the, the, the innovative approach you guys have had, but you know, you also talk about raising money separately for, you know, the administrative costs, the salaries, the, the other, the other side of it. So you can give 100%. Um, how has the conversation you had with the, with the, with the guy who wrote a note on a letter (laughs) you sent out changed your way of kind of doing just the overall fundraising approach?
2: You know, I, the, the creative thing is what you talked about. You know, I just think there's so many, what I've learned is there are so many ways to do this. But what what people appreciate is when you're going out and doing something, not just asking for something or, you know, I mean, you're doing something that's very, very meaningful. Um, and I, I, I just, one of my favorite letters on that very first project that we did was... My buddy Bill Iverson, who sent me that first letter, I told him, I said, Bill, I'm working on a widow's house. Would you sponsor me? <laughs> and <Yep>. he did. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have that letter frame that he wrote on? No, I don't. I've got <sighs> a couple other things, but I, I do not <laughs> have that. I um, wish I had.
1: Yeah. It's, it's framed in your mind. I imagine you can probably oh, it is. It as we talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we all have those mementos. We have those conversations that we will never forget, and uh, you know they've they've impacted our lives. Um, so another thing I want to talk to you about a little bit is uh, you know, and again, folks out there, the the, the book. Can you sh- share with everybody website for both hands and the book? I assume it's on the website, but also on Amazon. Can you share the title? And how people can can find out more about both hands?
2: Yeah, the the title of the book is "The Orphan, The Widow, and Me." Um, I JT Olson. It's on Amazon. You can also go to bothhandsbook dot com. You can also get it by going to our website, uh, bothhands dot org. You know, uh, that's probably one easy way to get it too. So, um, it's out there, and you know. People like it. I, I think yeah. they like it because it's just—it's just a go. It's a great story of, yeah. of, of just like I said, God taking something that's painful and turning it into something that's just amazing. Right. Well, it's story, right?
1: You know, everyone's story is unique. Everyone's yes. story, and and to see God using it, and to see you listening to God and heeding the call, because that doesn't always happen either. Because it doesn't make sense. Like it, it usually doesn't make sense in the you know, typical what we go to school to learn how you make a life in this country or in this world. It, it, it often doesn't in the context of the kingdom of God. And so I think this is one of those stories, right? You know, it's like, you know, to a certain extent, it makes sense after you do it. And you're like, Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. But in the midst of it, you're like, no, I got this business, I got something else going on, let's just go start something and help people fund adoptions all over the place, you know? Um, you know, yeah, that, that's it's encouraging to see you heeding that call. Um, and then writing about it. So I strongly encourage it is fantastic. I mean, JT, it's so encouraging. And your, you know, your humility, your your walk with with God, it definitely comes out. And every time I hear you talk and you're writing. And uh, so I encourage everyone out there to, to grab this um, book. Also, I want you to share with, with families out there who are, you know, kind of daunt, the daunting uh, cost of adoption. Can you encourage them, tell them how they can, you know, maybe uh, apply to work with wh- what you guys are doing, but also just so many other ways that people can, like you said, be creative to overcome that barrier of adoption if that's the thing that they're, that's keeping them from doing it.
2: Well, and you know what? And that's the part when you talk about the financial wall, you know, of of adoption, that that barrier, that strikes home with me because I remember when I was on the board of Bethany and before we had adopted just a little bit before we did that, about three years before we did that very first project. And, you know, I was on the board of Bethany, like I said, this is the end of the 90s, first part of the 2000s. And I would come home and I, you know, I talked about adoption because I was at this Bethany board meeting every month, you know, and we, uh, I would come home from a meeting and my wife would say, well, how was the meeting? Mm-hmm. And I'd say, oh, it was good. You know, this happened and this happened, the financial situation. I said, and, and there's two kids that are just born at the, they're down at the neonatal unit at Baptist, uh, they're preemies. And she's like, oh, let's go see them. And I would say, what? Mm-hmm. She said, yeah, you talked about adoption. Let's go see them. Maybe we should adopt them. I'd say, honey, we just started this business. We got this thing, not both hands, but the other business I was yep. going in, we'd already been in it for like two or three years, hadn't taken much in the form of pay. I said, honey, do you realize if we adopt, we're going to have to go into our life savings. Do you want to go into our life savings? And that would kind of quiet her down. And then another month would go by, I'd come back from a, both, a Bethany meeting and she said, well, how was the meeting? And I said, oh, it was good and this and that. And I said, oh, and there's a child down at Southern Hospital. She said, oh, do you want to go see it? I said, No. And and you know that would happen every month, <laughs> and I would have to tell, them, do you want to go into our life savings to do this? And would kinda it was always kind of well. At one point, she said, "Listen, I've got four children right now, and I could be happy the rest of my life with these four children. I could be just as happy with one more. And these four children we've got, they would all welcome another brother or sister. I'm on board. The kids are on board. The only thing that's going up and down in this thing is you." Say <laughs> so when you have finally figured out that you want to do this, let me know. Until then, you can talk to your friends about it, talk to anybody else, but don't talk to me about adoption. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of put me in my place, so to speak. And I remember, I'll never forget it, Phil, it was New Year's Eve 2001. My wife sent me upstairs to the attic to get the stockings to hang by the chimney with care. Of, <laughs> and I was in the attic. And as I looked around, I saw strollers, I saw car seats, I saw high chairs, I saw plate packs. And it hit me, I thought, we've got everything we need to raise a child. And then the next thought was, what's wrong with using a life savings to save a life? Hmm. And it just, you know, like some people, you know, they get taken to the woodshed, God took me to the attic. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> you know and he dealt with my 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 greed my stinginess my fear my worry and i walked down the stairs my wife was headed up to get something else and i looked at her i said honey we've got car seats we've got high chairs strollers and she thought i was about to say it's time for a yard sale <laughs> <laughs> and i just looked at her and i said what's wrong with using a life save as a save a life she said are you serious i said yeah she said can i tell the kids I said, yeah. And that hmm. next week, all four of the kids got a note in their stocking that we were going to start the adoption process. So I can speak very directly and from a point of really of empathy and understanding when I hear a guy say, we just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And it's a prudent thing to do. you know. And, and that's when it hits me. I thought, well, I know exactly what you mean. And that's why... I think God just put this seed in my heart about both hands is that I want to help families figure out how to get over this barrier, you know, and at the same time do something that's going to bless other people. Because, you know, another aspect about this whole thing is when you recruit, when you do a both hands project, yeah. way, if you want to do a both hands project. You just go to bothhands.org and punch in, <coughs> excuse me, the application and, uh, and you can apply online. But what's really cool is they recruit anywhere from 10 to 20 to 30 people to be mm-hmm. on the team to send letters along with them. Yep. You know, and these people who send letters, I mean, they're risking it in a way. They're saying, you know what? I believe in this so much. I'm going to ask my friends mm-hmm. and they send letters out and then they give their life away for the day. I mean, I've had so many people who've never volunteered, who spent a day at a both hands project and they walk away changed men and women because i think there's a service compartment in our heart that when it gets filled up and we give our life away in a way that expects nothing in return but we give our life away i think god touches us in ways that you can't touch it any other way yeah and some of the transformation i've seen with people and the joy they've expressed afterwards it's really cool I might be getting off track a little bit, but boy, once you get me talking about these families and these projects, it's 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 exciting.
1: <laughs> no, I love it. That's what I love about this uh, doing what I do. I get to hear these stories. I get to hear the passion, and I get to hear these rabbit trails that aren't really rabbit trails or exactly where we're supposed to be going. Because I can tell you that that is something that I encourage everyone to do. If you know if somebody comes to me and says, "Should I go on a mission trip?" and I go, you know, that's really up to you and God. Like, is God calling you to go? But if you go, the one thing I would say you need to do is. Do exactly what you just talked about—to to write letters to people, expressing why you're doing what you're doing, so that they can be a part of it, and then hopefully they yeah. can encourage others to, to share why they're excited about you going, and you know, and in this way, you're you're inviting people in in a way that doesn't happen otherwise. You know, you can you can't really. You know, you can invite people in and say, hey, we're adopting this. And when we're done, can you bring me a meal Um, that that might do something? And they might be, oh, this is kind of cool. But, you know, if you're actually like writing something down and you're processing of why you're doing something, it just takes it to a different level. And so I love I love it. You know, I absolutely love hearing that. And that goes to the to the, you know, the fundraising approach doesn't just in there either. Right. That goes, I imagine these people, when they do this, they are so vested. And then afterwards they are part of this family in a way they were never before. Uh, yes. Have you been seeing that too, I assume?
2: Yeah, because you know how we're, we all, and we hear this a lot of times at conferences and just, and people talking about the whole fact that we're all called to take care of widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. Now we're not all called to be the adoptive family. Right. You know, because not everyone is equipped to do that. But we're all called to do something. And what's unique about both hands, in my opinion anyway, is when people, you know, give money to an adoption, you know, in most cases if it's just a donation or something like that, you know, they are being part of that adoption. And that's a big deal. It's important. I'm not taking away from the other models. But man, when they do a both hands thing, they're sponsoring somebody who's not only just you know, help with the adoption, but they're serving a widow.
3: Right. right.
2: <laughs> and it's, it's just, it makes me giddy. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's such a joy. It brings so much joy to them. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Uh, well,
1: we're coming uh, close to the, close to the, not quite there. So I'm, I'm excited. We're not quite there yet, but, uh, we, we are coming to coming closer. So I have a few more questions for you in the, in this, this kind of, Third to last here, and for those of you who okay. listen a lot, know what the last two are already. But this one I just want to talk to you about. In your work with orphan children, widows, and vulnerable families. What is the one of the biggest issues you believe we are facing today and, and how how can we address that issue together?
2: You know what's opened my eyes this doing both hands is the needs of the widows in America. Yeah, I mean I, I and I don't mean this as a I, as a slam against organizations or churches or anything like that. But I think if you ask people who run a church, you know, if you ask them how many people were at their church that Sunday, they would probably know that number. Mm -hmm. I think if you ask them how many kids were in their children's programs, they would probably know that number. How many people were in the nursery, they would know that number. How much money was collected, they would know that number. If you ask them how many widows are in your congregation, I sense most of them wouldn't know that number. Mm -hmm. And And I think... I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying that's just the way life works. But that's the forgotten widow, and I think that's why it's mentioned so many times in the Bible. Right? That we we have to open up our eyes to the needs of these widows, and they don't all go to church. You know, the 14 million. Yeah, there's probably a whole bunch of them that are self-sufficient right. and are coping well. But there are some that are lonely. Mm-hmm. They just need they need community, like all of us need community. And I just wish there was some way in every church to have a group of men you know who met once a month on Saturday this is my vision Phil have every church has a group of men that meets on Saturday at 7, seven o'clock in the morning for breakfast and they have a plan you know there's five or ten of them they say, well who are we serving today well Mrs. Smith over there on Clark Street okay what are we doing and then they eat breakfast and they go over there and they for two three hours they fix up mrs. Smith's house. Hmm. I mean, can you imagine that happening in churches all over the country? That would be cool. <laughs> that's that's going to church on Saturday morning, baby.
1: Right, absolutely.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, that's – and that may not be what a lot of people who care about orphans and stuff they think about. But it's one thing this whole thing has opened my eyes to. Absolutely. You know? um, among other things, too. And I could – you know, I just – there's so many kids, too. There's a lot of work to be done.
1: Yeah, you know it- – I, the thing I love about you, JT, you don't just have an idea come in your mind and and just let it go. It's it, it, There's actually there's an intentionality to it, too. Even hearing that, it wasn't like, I think the church needs to put more money in their budget, which I, I think churches need to do for elderly, for widows. Um, I mean, you have massive kids' ministries, but we don't have a whole lot of senior ministries going on in our churches. We don't have a lot of funds going to... Uh, and I heard a po- another podcast about this recently, and it, and it really struck me. And it, like you just said, I mean, how many widows are in your church? Do people know that number?
2: Um, you know, and- and, and, and Phil, you know, every once in a while, though, I do run across when I am working with an adoptive couple. Because I always suggest, I say, you ought to try and find a widow. First of all, look inside your church. And every once in a while, I get a fan that comes back and says, well, I did check that already. And, you know, we've got a pretty strong widows ministry, and all the widows in our church are taken care yeah. of. I love it when I hear that. Right.
1: Well, and what you need to what you need to do is let us know about those two. Right. I mean, like that's what we need to do is just say, here's a model. Here's a church yeah. that's doing it well. Like, like orphan care ministry. It's the same thing. There's some churches who are hitting it out of the park, yeah. you know, and you know, it, it's in- so encouraging. Um, but we also got to make it like, you don't need to get there tomorrow. Right. You know, you just need to have what's the next step and intentionality. How can we be intentional to take that next step? Right. Yeah. And like you said, that's a great next step, you know, get some guys together and just go help a widow and what they need that week, you know, whatever that might be a great next step, you know, and it may be that the step after that is something else and then something else, but yeah. intentionality is so critical in all this work. Right. And I think yeah. that's a constant, I think as we're doing it is to be aware of it and then be intentional about how you can address it. So, um, all right, so now we're coming to the questions that uh, I've talked to many listeners, and they anticipate these. So, not to put any pressure on you, but um, <laughs> what have you read, uh, listened to, or watched recently that has impacted your thinking on how we can love an orphan and at-risk children with excellence?
2: Oh, you know, it's I'm I'm reading a book right now on attachment, mm-hmm. and I think the things that I've read about attachment disorders, I couldn't tell you any one particular book. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I even, you know, I can't remember the name of it. I don't remember the titles of books very well, That's right. but it just opening my eyes to these kids who come out of hard places Mm -hmm. and they end up being in, in foster homes or adoptive families and just truly understanding why they act the way they act. You know, that has opened my eyes to the value of, you know, just what Stephen Curtis and Mary Beth are doing, you know, with their, um, with, with their deal, um, um i can't remember the name show of it hope. but you know they you know what i mean right yeah, uh, show hope show hope yeah show hope and, and but what they do with their seminars on oh that the uh, empowered to connect is what you're talking power about con- power yeah. to connect yeah. yes. that is so powerful and you know i i suppose if i had to name one thing i sat through when i sat through that seminar that was mm-hmm. that was eye opening yeah Everyone should do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They're doing some phenomenal work. Empowered to connect podcast also is incredible. Ryan and Kayla North are doing, doing that. And I think it's the empowered parent podcast now is what it's called. But, uh, yeah we'll put some resources on you know we'll help you out there jt and we'll put some great attachment resources on uh on the show notes for this uh connect child by karen purvis is one that's a that's a given uh, kurt thompson anatomy of the soul has a lot on a great on on attachment as well and kurt will be on the show here a little bit mandy howard had an episode our co-host kara hutchinson um has done some uh, great talks in her, her her podcast episode as well. But um, I'm sure Karen and I can talk a little lot about uh, attachment resources out there. Karen, when you're listening to this, you know, we can talk about it. So, uh, yeah, no, that's absolutely something that I've learned so much about that over the last few years because coming into this, knowing nothing about this area, it's been great to right. be able to learn so much. Um, so, yeah, so that's definitely something I think um, all of us who have not been uh, psychology or human development majors at any point of our life uh, have a ton to learn on these things, and I know those people do as well because there 's new stuff coming out all the time it seems like uh, so um, all right, so what one person has impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and at risk children with excellence
2: you know I, I thought about that question, and I really think I mean there's so many people. Um, but if I had to point to one on earth, <laughs> um, you know, one of the guys I would, the key to my mind was Marty Schwederman. Marty Schwederman is a children's pastor at fellowship Bible church in Brentwood, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And he has been the leading the middle Tennessee orphan Alliance for the last 10, 12 years. And he has a heart for, um, for kids without parents whether it's in foster care or or orphans. And uh, he has set an example. He's inspiring to me, and and, uh, he's always showing us every month the ways that we can do better and encourages a bunch of people. So he's one of my heroes. Yeah.
1: Well, there's so many people, and I imagine all the different families have – impacted you in ways that will, uh, stay with you forever as well. Um, so it's always, that's always, it's, it's really kind of an unfair question that I, that I say, but I still keep it in there because <laughs> I still, I still love the stories because everyone knows, I assume everyone out there knows there's a whole lot more people that have, oh. that could be in that answer, but, but I, I know that I, I, I'm encouraged by all the stories I get to hear about the different people that have impacted uh, each and every one of our guests.
2: Well, just think about – I mean that's a hard question because when I think about that question, I think about all the people I watched go up before me who adopted. Right. You know, and like, yeah, that rocked my world and just watching them. And it's so there's a whole bunch like that. Yeah. Oh. Tough
1: question. No, I know. I know that, that you know, that's uh, why I get to do what I do. I get to ask those tough questions, you You're know, so whether yeah. they're unfair or not really doesn't matter. I get to ask them <laughs> anyway. Um, so, well, JT, thank you so much, man. We could talk forever. And I, I just uh, am so encouraged by your life, by your, um, the work that you are doing with uh, the Both Hands team and just all the people that are walking alongside you in that journey. It's, it's uh, super encouraging brother. Thanks for, uh, thank thanks you. for
2: being faithful. Thanks for what you do, Phil. makes an impact. That's what we're here for.
1: Well, thank you again, JT, for um, just sharing your your wisdom with us. And I just love how he ended that uh, conversation by saying, you know what? It makes an impact, and that's what we're here for. You know, and I just love the impact that JT has made and is making um, and the encouragement he is to me as a friend, as a brother. And as just someone who is really taking uh, Scripture seriously, you know, and really saying, how can I live it out and help others to do the same? So what do you think, Rick?
0: Man, just love, love JT, love his story. Um, The, you know, the learned some things through listening to the interview um, that that I really didn't know about JT. And so I, I think his story is is definitely exemplifies um, that truth that God doesn't waste anything.
3: Hmm.
0: Um, and so to hear the story of, you know, the death of his parents and, and some of the things that he was able to identify with through that and, and the way that God's brought that fully to bloom in his life and, in uh, what he's doing in ministry now, um, is, is just, it's, it's incredibly encouraging. It's encouraging, I think, to any of us who at times can look around and wonder, um, you know, where we are, are we in the right place? Is God, you know, is God accomplishing Through us, what He desires to be accomplishing through us, and I think JT's story is just, um, you know, incredibly instructive to say um, yes that um, that God can, and not only can He, but will He? He will, um, you know, accomplish His His purposes through us, and that He even redeems the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was really, really um, good to hear. I, I think. I I think for me, you know, obviously we have a lot of families that that are um, people that are, you know, that adoptive families that we're ministering to here at Lifeline, who um, both hands foundation has has made an incredible impact in the lives of those families and have helped them to, you know, to be able to um, to to adopt and, you know, to be able to do that financially. Um, but doing it in such a way that there's so much more kingdom impact, that there's, that, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a widening of, of the circle is, um, is just incredible. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm thankful that, uh, that JT's friend wrote that letter and Mm -hmm. said to him, um, no, I'm not going to support your golf tournament. Um, but if you, if you were working on the house of a widow, I would, um, because, because the Lord has, you know, has, has really grown that thing into, um, something that, that I, I, this side of heaven, we'll probably never know the full impact of the things that God's done through that ministry.
1: Absolutely, and and what do you think about the, you know, when he talked about the biggest issue, um, kind of we're facing in this, in this orphan care movement, and he brought in the widows, right? You know, the other side of James one twenty seven, the other side of Isaiah one seventeen, right? The thing that often gets neglected in our churches today. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on why that is? I mean, I mean, some churches are hitting it out of the park, same way some churches are hitting it out of the park on the, the orphan care and loving the orphan and the vulnerable. Um, but I'd say the, the vast majority are kind of ignoring that sector, so to speak of their, of the population of the church. Why, why do you think that is? And you know, what do you think can be done about it?
0: Yeah, I think, um, Man, I think that's that's really complex because I, I think one of the reasons that we um, that we don't see churches ministering to widows as much um, is is because we have we have a lot of widows in our midst that are not they're not victimized and they're mm-hmm. not voiceless mm-hmm. and 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 so. You know, there's this sense that that in many churches, churches kind of have the illusion that we're like we're doing well in ministering to widows because because they're they're ministering to those ladies who are present and those ladies who are participating Mm. and and whose whose husbands have died and 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 fall into that category. Um, And and so I think there's a there's it's kind of easy almost to become self-satisfied in it. Um, I think when you when you dig a little bit deeper, um, what you realize is, is that that the Families, or the the, the people that that families that that both hands are are ministering to the people that they choose and select for these projects. Many times they are exactly the people that the Bible was talking about. They're the, they're the widows at the margin that have needs that nobody knows about their needs that, that have. Um, and, and what we have to realize is is you and I spend a lot of time in front of people talking about the, the voiceless and the faceless identity of, of orphans and vulnerable children around the world that need our help who will not show up and they'll not make their needs met because they don't have a way to do that um I, I think we to our detriment have not continued to realize that that there is the same plight among women around the world um that, that fall into this category of of widowhood um that that because of what we see in our own culture um and because of who we you know who we know that are being taken care of by Pensions and social serv- you know, social security and all these kinds of things that exist around us that we've not we've really not dug deeply enough. Hmm. Um, and we're we need to have that conversation as desperately as we've needed to have the conversation about, um, you know, about orphan care. Yeah. Um and And quite frankly, we we don't honestly hold a ton of credibility in many of the things that we say about caring for orphans um, in the eyes of many people because we're only having half of the conversation.
1: Right, you know, and it's something that we talk about a lot, you know, down down in Honduras with La Providencia with the idea of the widow ministry that we've talked about from day one, how can we incorporate that in, but it's so nuanced, it's so difficult to really kind of dive into that, because how, you know, it's totally different needs a lot of the times, it's a lot of very different ministry, but on top of it, you know, like you said, you know, there's, the, the hard part is, it's easy to say, um, most widows are taken care of, whether it's family, whether it's they got a life insurance policy, whether it's they got whatever they're doing okay no big deal but like you said and then similarly with the with the children i think the children are more in our face because there's a whole lot more of them Mm -hmm. but um there's a lot of kids who you could point to and say they're totally taken care of they were adopted they were in a place where they're well loved whatever that setting is right and as opposed to saying you know what even if we do 90 percent of it there's still a 10 percent that really need some love and how can we love them how can we love them like you said on the margins on the fringes on the places that we'll never see unless we seek them out right the one sheep you know as opposed to just hanging out with the 99 like where is that one that we need to go out and and look for and seek you know out and say how can we help you what does that look like you know and it's not that the expense of everything else it's not the expense of not doing the ministry that we need to um in our midst right but we need to often Um, seek it out and you know and that that's a that's a nuanced conversation we don't have time for today because obviously you know the scripture talks about you know love the stranger in your midst right Mm -hmm. and so it doesn't necessarily say go out and seek the world and you know comb the world like Jesus did for that sheep but I think there is a a, also the omission of going you know if it's in your backyard and you're just kind of (laughs) blindly sticking your head in the mud I think that's different right so I think there's different like I said nuanced but um, I believe the church, we can do a better job. I mean, maybe it's not going like, you know, going under the bridges of every place in the community to look for someone. But I think we probably have people in our churches that are coming, that are hurting in ways that we aren't even finding that out. So.
0: Um, and, and this will probably take us a little bit off the, you know, off the interview trail Phil. But I, I think the other thing that we really have to think about in our churches are um, single moms. Mm-hmm, and, you know, and and, and we um, and, and I think this whole conversation exposes for us, um, you know, how are how are we ministering well to, you know, to women who are are in great peril and their families are in great peril. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's quite honestly, a population that in many pockets we've struggled with in ev- evangelicalism to, um, you know, to minister well. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, I love the fact that we're, that we're dialing up that conversation and, and beginning to have it. And I think it's only appropriate in, uh, you know, for us to do in in orphan care circles because because half of this conversation is is already deeply meaningful to us, and so it it should bear that it shouldn't be too hard for us to engage it fully right
1: right no, absolutely, and I think that's a great uh, segue into what we're going to be talking about next week um, with uh, Adrian Collins interview, and just the talk of how we can love single moms, how we can love women. Uh, with unwanted or crisis pregnancies, whatever you want to call them How we can love them really before and after birth um, And what does that look like? And I think that's a that's a conversation we're gonna be having next week as well. So um, if that's something that jumps out at you definitely come back next week and download it because I think <laughs> that you'll be um I mean just adrian's story is phenomenal and then the conversation I think that we'll have will be Very, you know, I think i'm I'm excited to have it. So that's something I, I want to encourage you to do but um and you know there's so much more we could talk about i think the creative fundraising that jt talked about the just the ways that uh you know god used him and worked in and through him um you know it got how he's a man who's clearly not doing what he's doing for the money it's doing it for the mission that's most people almost almost 100 of the people we're talking to on this show um and that's so encouraging but you know, we, we do have to kind of come to a close in this episode. And with that, I want to, I want to bring it to the recommendations. So today we do have Phil and Dr. Rick recommends and both of us have a little something. Uh, Rick's got the, the, the new and I kind of got the old here today. So Rick, what, what do you got for us?
0: Yeah, so um, really great new book that's out um, from Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition called Twelve Faithful Men. Uh, the subtitle is Portraits of Courageous Endurance in Pastoral Ministry. Um, but honestly, as I've, as I've uh, dove into this book, I would really encourage people that are not in pastoral ministry to, to take a look. And it's a story of, of 12 pastors um, beginning with the Apostle Paul and kind of running through you know, up to to pretty close to present day, um, who probably, for all um, and all, by all accounts, should have quit. <laughs> like you know, preachers that have in have um, have faced unspeakable tragedy, who have been opposed on every side, who sledding in ministry has been tough, um, and yet God was able to do um, wonderful, incredible. Um, things of kingdom value. And, and I I just, it's encouraged my heart um, as, you know, someone who's in ministry. um, We all get discouraged. We all have times where, you know, where we wonder if what we're doing is, is really making a difference. We, 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 we sometimes, you know, worry about the toll on families and those kinds of things. And what I found in that book is the story of, of 12, Faithful saints um, who who face those same challenges and and God prevailed through their lives. And so I would encourage you, Colin uh, and Jeff Robinson that wrote the book with him are, are wonderful writers and and do a great job of capturing those stories. But it's um, 12, uh, twelve faithful men. And, uh, and it's, uh, you know, right now, um, it's like top in pastoral resources on Amazon, brand new book. Um, and I would highly recommend it. Well,
1: thanks for that. And I, uh, I have a guy, um, wrote a book a long time ago. It's called spiritual leadership by Oswald Sanders. And it's, it has stood the test of time in the book. He says, you know, leaders are readers and we need to cheese cheese. We need to choose. Um, we probably need to eat cheese sometimes too, too. but, um, we need to choose books like we choose our friends. And I think that that's something that if we, we, there's so much we could be reading out there. There's so much we could be putting into our minds. And so to be, be careful about that, but also, you know, when you do it really, you know, take time to understand and digest what it's saying. So, that's just one of the things, I mean, that's not really, that's just an aside on the book. The book is phenomenal about leadership and how we can lead as servants, um, often lead by following. What does that look like in real ways? And, and I just, that's a book that I've read over and over, over the last few years since I was first introduced to it. So I want to introduce it to you if you've never heard of it. If you have heard of it, I'd encourage you to go back and read it again and see, see how God speaks to you through it. So again, with that, I'm going to end the show as I end them all. Um, I just hope and pray. Uh, that you will take what you learned today, what you're learning in all that you're seeing in life that God's teaching you, and use it to really think about how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better
0: each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.